Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome back to the House of Pod. My name is Kaveh Hoda. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Today, we're going to talk about menstruation with the UA, ruation, menstruation. To join me in doing that are two of my favorite people. First, special guest co-host, Rebecca Watson, vlogger. Hello blogger podcaster oh, right i'm not done introducing sorry. you sorry blogger podcast much like my period i came in early today <laughs> thanks thanks i'll be here all week if you do nothing else this get, episode you win i, I did get, i have i have been on my period for like two weeks now it's really annoying and i blame the vaccine so i have a lot of questions today we're going to talk about for, that for our, for our guest are. So let's get to our guest. Our guest, oh my goodness, uh, a, a writer of the Substack, the Vagenda, also podcaster, um, and pretty much uh, everything. I think you also have like vlogs. You have little video vignettes. You do everything. Not to mention being a terrific doctor. We have Dr. Jen Gunter joining us to talk about her new book, Blood: The Science, Medicine, and Mythology of Menstruation. Jen, thank you for coming back on the show. Well, thank you for having me. It's lovely to see you guys today it, through the magic of, too. magic of the internet. You introduced yeah. me to Rebecca. Did you know that? Did I really? Yeah. yeah. Did she? You brought her into my life. All right. So thanks. Oh. I, thanks. Most of I, yeah. I, I, you. I, really? I'll take did, credit. I'll take credit. Did, sure. Did Jen recommend you for Quizotron? Because exactly. that's how I met you. Oh, oh yeah. there you Go. Yeah. Quizitron, ah, yes. Yeah. Quizitron yeah, back you, in the day. Back in the day. Can you tell was, people what that was, Rebecca? I really enjoyed yeah. Quizitron. That was a good time. Thank you. It was fun. Quizitron was a live quiz show that pitted scientists versus comedians to answer questions about science. And you got points whether you were right or funny. 
And uh, I was a capricious host who freely gave and took away points at my whim. And everybody on the, the panels were always so funny and interesting. And we all learned a lot. But unfortunately, um, COVID ruined all that. Yeah. We could no longer do live shows. And I I am of the minority opinion that COVID still exists. So <laughs> I have had, I have re I've really dragged my feet about the idea of restarting Quizzatron. So maybe well, in the it, future, though. If it ever comes back, I am going to be so excited to not just be on it, but to listen to it because absolutely such oh, a fun show you. i was gonna say maybe on a warm summer day we could figure out a way to do it outside Ooh, an outside quizzatron i like the i like the sound i'm making a mental note yeah it's just, just... totally doable it is doable it's gonna require a little bit more like oh boy it's gonna require a lot of planning and stuff there's lots of sound stuff yeah, you have to worry about and you know i hate that <laughs> the sound yeah. stuff was hard enough in a in a theater on a stage with professionals. Right. Well, that's true. That's true. But, but yeah. well, we're going to talk about something else today. We're going to talk about this new book, which I'm very excited about. So, um, Jen, you wrote the Vagina Bible, the man, the Menopause Manifesto, and now you're writing about uh, menses. Uh, do you, do you ever consider like just throwing people for a loop and maybe like writing a book about the spleen and just like <laughs> just. Nobody else wants it. Do you like think maybe you just do that one day just to confuse people? Yeah, that that's certainly an idea, you know, or you know, the 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 pineal gland, you know, one of those heavy hitters that, yeah. that no one actually knows anything about. Yeah. So so yeah, you know, you I can write whatever wrong. I want. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you can make, make outrageous claims about the pineal gland. Can okay. I can I tell you a pineal gland funny story? I've never heard those words put together. Yeah, so yeah I'm very excited. The only pineal gland yeah. funny story. Let's so, so we had this professor in medical school in first year who, you know, taught us neuroanatomy, and he was just very dry and always seemed to be like in a bad mood. And we had, you know, just really stood out. And uh, so I was sitting beside someone who's, I don't know, like older brother was in medicine, so I'd known, like, knew a lot of stuff. And he leaned over to me and he said, "Well." You know why Dr. So-and-so is always in a bad mood? Because his area of research is the pineal gland. And no one knows what it does, not even him. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough life. That's a tough, it's a tough The draw. pineal gland, I've heard it's like quantum mechanics, where if you think you know what it's about, you don't know what it's about. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's one of those areas sense. of science where it's like years of research and 30 years, 40 years later, you're like, yeah, like we really... Don't know much more yeah. than when I started. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's good for science fiction novels that can make up things. It's probably about where it. the soul is. That's right. Oh, that's right. That's true. L let's let's talk about um, menses. Uh, let's start at the very beginning. In case we have a listener who is somehow able to download and listen to podcasts, but doesn't know what menstruation is somehow, how would you define menstruation? Uh, yeah, so menstruation is the cyclic uh, removal of the lining of the endometrium uh, that uh, you know happens in response to withdrawal of progesterone. And why did you decide to write a big, beautiful book? Which, by the way, I have had a chance to read, and it is fantastic. I really enjoy it. I think it's one of your best. Tell us why did you decide to write a book about this? 
Well, um, I had a two book deal and I had to come up with a second book is my <laughs> first answer. <laughs> that is the most honest answer I think so I've ever respect. heard a writer say. But, you <laughs> know, um, yeah. So, so I, so I knew I was going to have to, you know, I'd written the vagina Bible and then I got a two book deal. And so I wrote the menopause manifesto. And so I knew like another book was coming, but you know, I wasn't really sure. And then you know, I was batting around the idea about like a general gynecology book, but you know, I'd already like the vagina Bible, the lower reproductive tract covers a good chunk of gynecology and a book on menopause covers a good chunk of gynecology. So I kind of sort of looked at what was left and I thought, you know, so much disinformation. This was actually around the time where people were reporting fears about reproductive health issues with the COVID vaccine. And that seemed to be a mark to me of where exponentially on social media, disinformation about the menstrual cycle just took over. And, you know, all these old myths were resurging about like tampons and like, it just, it just became this like one hot mess. And I thought, wow, you know, and, and I'd see these things and I'd be able to roll my eyes and say, this is ridiculous. But I realized from all the direct messages that I was getting that people really had such a little understanding of the basic biology of the menstrual cycle. And so I thought, you know, I think that's, that's really what I'm going to frame the next book about. I'm going to frame, you know, major sort of gynecological issues that are, you know, all related to the menstrual cycle and, and help people have a greater understanding of the biology and the things that influence it and the things that can go wrong. So hopefully they can get better care in the office and hopefully they'll know who to block on TikTok and Instagram. What are some of the misconceptions that you came across? Some that were maybe old pre-COVID and what are some that are very COVID related? So I would say that there's nothing new. It's all, with most pseudoscience, it's all old stuff that's been reworked, which is really fascinating in a lot of ways. But first of all, the idea that the menstrual cycle has toxins, that you're releasing toxins, you know, and people are always like, well, humans don't have toxins. So first of all, there's that. And then everybody gets very upset. And I'm like, well, a poison's not a toxin. A toxin, you know, words have meanings. So you, you have to explain that. But it's not, you know, it's not an organ of excretion. Because if it were, then you couldn't actually do a hysterectomy, right? Like in the same way you can't remove a liver or you can't remove both kidneys. You can remove one. I only have one, but um, but you Show can't off. remove two. So, you know, so it's obviously not an organ of excretion. And then what would happen during pregnancy? Would all those dangerous humors then go to the placenta? That doesn't seem like a good design, does it? You know, mm -hmm. for a fetus. So, you know, you sort of follow these things through. So toxins, that's another one, big one um, that you can change your hormones with what you eat. Um, you know, people have a very poor understanding of how hormones are made and it's super complex, right? Like really complex, but what you need to understand would tell you that food doesn't have an impact on it. Because again, if you think about us from a biologic, from an anthropological standpoint, human diets are so varied, you know, an ancestral diet in Iceland would in no way, you know, reflect an ancestral diet in Persia, right? Like you would mm -hmm. have these two completely different areas with different foods and different environmental pressures. How could, there couldn't be like one diet or mm -hmm. we wouldn't been able to move. Um, and then one that's relatively new, but certainly been recycled is the idea that a vaccine damages the reproductive tract. And we saw that actually with the HPV vaccine. And that came about because we were giving it to teenage girls. If we were giving it, if the HPV, HPV vaccine wasn't about a sexually transmitted infection, I don't think reproductive issues would have come into it, but it did. Mm. And uh, because there's a lot of purity culture in 
you know, the anti-vax and wellness worlds. And so that was reworked, you know, into, um, you know, into the fears about the COVID-19 vaccine. And, you know, sadly, a lot of women's health, the reproductive health has been understudied. So that creates gaps and gaps are very easy for these charlatans to kind of walk in and exploit. On that point, uh, <laughs> I was serious. Um, so I have an I have an implant in my arm, an mm-hmm. implanon, uh, and ever since for birth control, and ever since I got it installed, uh, I had no no period. It was magic. I loved it um, until the COVID vaccines came along, and after my first COVID vaccine, I my period came back. And I thought I did I did not connect it to the vaccine at the time, but I thought, well, that's weird. And then it seemed that every booster shot I got would also be followed by a period. And they're so rare. Uh, and the the boosters are so rare that I started making this correlation. But obviously, correlation does not, you know, insist upon causation. But then I did start hearing just maybe last late last year that there was some evidence that maybe the COVID vaccine interacted with the menstrual cycle in some way. But I don't know where things landed. Are you at all familiar with what where the science is on that now? You bet. I sure am. So first of all, unfortunately, irregular bleeding is really common with uh, the next one on. Um, and the longer, you know, so, you know, if you were like at year three or year four, when you got a vaccine, then we'd be like, well, you know, you, it's more common when it's been in longer, right? So right at well, the beginning I, or towards the end. I was, and actually, so I went into my gynecologist and she said exactly that and she switched it. So mm-hmm. this one is now new as of 20, late 2020. Mm-hmm. And so now it started, but then it started happening again. So that's, that's when I started to be like, oh, maybe the vaccine does have something to do with it. Right. That. Right. Yeah. Well, late 2020 though, now you're also, you know, uh, you're now three and a half years again. That's right? true. So, yeah. so you're, you know, getting towards the end of it. You can also take some ibuprofen that can help with irregular bleeding oh. if it's persistent. Uh, but yes. So there was a lot of, you know, online hype about the vaccine causing menstrual disturbances. And there are a couple of things that are true that are kind of competing. So it is true that vaccines have not been studied for men- it, with an impact on menstruation, which is really unacceptable. If we know what percentage of people get a fever or what percentage of people have lymphadenopathy after a vaccine, we should know what percentage of people have a menstrual disturbance. So, so that is absolutely true. And I scoured the literature and found one retrospective review. I called Merck to see if they had tracked the data with the HPV vaccine, because I thought, look, if anybody tracked it, it would have been them. No. Mm-hmm. In fact, I talked to their chief, the, one of their science officers, and they couldn't believe that they didn't have the data. So, wow. you know, so, so it hasn't been tracked. So that's true. That's a gap, and that's true. It's also true that irregular bleeding is one of the most common things that we see in the office. And so there's a very high background rate. And there's also a lot of menstrual irregularities that people are unaware of. So it's normal, you know, if you don't have, not taking hormonal contraception, to have a seven day swing in either direction, menstrual cycle to menstrual cycle. So you can have a 24 day cycle, one cycle, and then a 30 day cycle, the next one, totally normal. It's not unless it's more than seven days, we consider it abnormal. The other thing is recall for menstrual periods is terrible. 
Uh, so people are very bad at remembering the exact date when their last period was. And we have all kinds of data with ultrasounds and pregnancies. And there was this fascinating study that I didn't include in the book because my editor made me cut it out, but that when you ask women to remember when their last menstrual period was statistically, they're more likely to pick the 5th, 10th, the 15th, 20th, and 25th of the month than any other day. Hmm. Those are the easiest That's, days to remember, right? Mm -hmm. Like we counting in fives. So one hundred percent. Like I remember when I did have a period and was going into the doctor in my twenties and everything. I, they would say, "When's when was your last period?" And I would say, "Look, I have no idea. I don't know what I had for breakfast this morning. Right. Why are you asking?" Me this? Yeah, I mean, so no, it does no assigning any fault or anything. So you have these two competing things. So. What we for, and then we had sort of an online contingency of people really stoking the fire, both known bad actors like people like Christiane Northrup, but also people that I think had good meaning, but they really like were hyping people up. And it's like, okay, well, just like vaccines and autism, people have noticed a correlation, maybe. So now we need to look at it. And this is actually one of the rare instances where researchers took what women were saying happened seriously. And the great thing about it is they had data from menstrual apps. So the next best thing to a prospective study is people collecting data prospectively for other reasons. So what they were able to do was mine this data, both from the Natural Cycles app and Apple also did it with their, so we have two independent, right? People tracking cycles from with different ways. And basically what we found was that for an at the average change in the menstrual cycle length was one day. So hmm. less than the seven days. So for example, if you had a 27 day cycle, the next month you were likely, you could have a 28 day cycle and it would go back to normal the next one after. So statistically significant, not clinically significant. However, and what so then what they looked for was who had a change that was more than seven days. And what they found was if you got two doses in the same cycle, that you were far more likely to have that delay of eight days or more. And mm -hmm. the hypothesis is that, you know, when you get a vaccine, you get an immune response, right? You get, some people get fever, some people get lymphadenopathy. And likely if you get it really early in the cycle, when FSH is just starting to rise, when all those things are happening, that that could be delayed or stunned a bit by the inflammation because your body doesn't want to get pregnant when you're sick, right? Like it's, right. you know, you have all these fail-safe mechanisms that inflammation goes away and then, okay, everything clicks back in. And so it would make sense that if you get two doses in the same cycle, you're getting that first dose early. That still needs to be evaluated more. That's kind of one of the working hypotheses. Now, there is some data which is not as good quality to suggest that for some people, they may have a heavier cycle, the next cycle. It's much harder to track irregular bleeding because not everybody records that in an app. So especially somebody like me who never has a period. Right. So and why so would I, you know, all the, and all birth control users were excluded from, from this study. Right. So we're talking about, you know, in a typical cycle, but you have to know what happens in an unmedicated cycle first to then be able to right. study the next, you know, and while it's also valid to be upset about not having previous research, there was no way, given how fast this vaccine was developed, that people could have done this with this vaccine because you'd need to have three months of cycle data leading into getting the vaccine then to be able to follow three right. months after. And there was no way to do that. I mean, 
you know, we were in this pandemic and people were dying and being proned on ventilators. And so, you know, so what we've learned is very reassuring that there's definitely a subtle change for people who get two doses in one cycle. They might have some irregularity the next cycle. They may have more changes. And most people aren't going to need two doses in a cycle going forward, but you never know other vaccines that come out might need two doses within like 28 days. And Mm. that would be something to study. So we learned something. We hopefully reassured people, but I'll tell you something that I found very interesting. I've been attacked a lot by talking for about talking about these studies, how reassuring they are. People have written the most vicious comments on social media and been so upset because the the studies don't show their experience. So this people are saying, well, I got the vaccine and my cycle has been ruined for a year and a half. I'm not saying that you haven't had a year and a half of irregular cycles. What I'm saying is, you know, data from over 10,000 or so people doesn't show that that seems to have emerged as a pattern, meaning it's probably something else. Because as I mentioned at the beginning, every single day I see people who've got new onset menstrual shenanigans, right? And if enough people are getting- Is that the official term? (laughs) I like to call it that, menstrual shenanigans. Noms. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah exactly. So, <laughs> so if you look at if a, a large number of people are getting vaccinated, you're going to see a large pe- number of people correlating that as opposed to causation. So there's some interesting biology. There definitely is a connection, but it's a smaller connection than people think. And it doesn't look like it's anything permanent, which would make sense because if you get the flu, you don't get a permanent change in your menstrual cycle. If you have, a, you know, sepsis, unless you like knock out your pituitary, like if you, you can have a serious infection and recover. So if this, you know, human and humans faced far greater infectious burdens, you know, evolutionarily speaking. So, you know, if some inflammation was going to put your cycle offline for eight months, that, that actually wouldn't work out too well. Yeah. Yes, very interesting. If you need to follow all that again, it's really well covered in the book. You talk about this in the book also. Is the misconceptions about it the being important for detox, menses being important for detoxification? It, it, I'm assuming this is all within like the grifting space of someone trying to become like an influencer online, trying to recruit to to create the argument that if you're not having menses. You're not getting rid of these toxins and that could be dangerous for whatever reason, right? Yeah. It's um, a common trope from chiropractors and naturopaths too. Has that always been there? Cause I don't feel like I've seen that before. Is this, or is this just because now we have influencers online and now we're seeing all these things? Oh no, it's an ancient medical belief. I mean, so if, if, if you want to be treated like they, they treated people in 3000 BC, then that's a great way to start your medicine, right? Like, so if you're, if you're a physician in the time of Hippocrates, you think that women are inferior creatures because they're inferior because they're women. And the evidence for that is the fact that they leak fluid every four, every 28 or so days, men don't leak fluid. So men are perfect. And if you look about it, if you think about it in what they knew about the time, right? Like that it was the balance of the four humors, right? So this was a sign of an imbalance in blood. You're leaking blood or they didn't, they you didn't have too much. Was, you guys are too moist. I we're think, too as moist, you overly moist. overly moist. Like yeah. every cell, like Honestly. not just not the vagina, like your whole being, you had shoddy plumbing. <laughs> and so, and they believed in buildup, right, of toxic humors and things like that. So it's all about balance. 
We see the same talk from naturopaths. I could be describing what a naturopath would tell you. It's like I'm talking about something from 5,000 years ago, right? So this idea that you need to be in bed. So they've replaced the balance of like black bile and yellow bile and blood, right, with with just hormonal balance. It just renamed it. And so this idea that you must shed your lining, you know, to get rid of toxins is, it's asinine. It's only somebody, I don't fault any non-medical person for believing this because you're not medical, but anyone who calls themselves a medical practitioner who says that is an idiot. I mean, Mm -hmm. that means that they have like read nothing about the human body. Menstrual blood is just blood. Like if I draw a venous sample and compare it, like it's the same, it's blood. That's all it is. It's not some built up swill. Like I remember being a hippie in Seattle in the early 2000s and girlfriends telling me like, oh, you can't, you have, if you're on birth control, first of all, you shouldn't be because toxins. And second of all, you absolutely need to do the skipped week to get your period or else, yeah, it's good. Toxins are going to build up. And so it was a really common thing amongst women. And it, I, I always think back on that and I wonder how much of it is due to women growing up in a time when we couldn't control our periods. So it was something we had to deal with every month and it was much harder to deal with back, you know, decades ago um, and further, obviously. Uh, And so I wonder how much of that idea of it being like a cleansing thing is a way to sort of try to take something positive from something that was Mm. in fact, and still is just a really shitty time of the month. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that maybe that's a rebranding of of this sort of the patriarchal trope. Um, and I think that maybe some people don't realize that's what it comes from. You know, that, you know, if if that's what your mother was told and her mother and her mother and her mother, and you see subtle messages reinforcing that everywhere, like they don't call them menstrual products, they call them feminine hygiene products, right? Or sanitary napkins, like there's something dirty, right? So all of the mm. language that we use around menstruation is dirty. There are religions where you have to take a special bath to cleanse yourself before you can have sex with your husband again. You There are religions and cultures where you can't prepare food when you're menstruating. So this idea of filth and pollution is just baked into so many cultures. It's baked into religions. Uh, so it's it's hard to know. Add in the fact that getting your period was a sign you weren't pregnant which would be something that would be very important to a lot of people. So add that into the mix. So I think you kind of have this weird mix of different things. And I'm all for people believing whatever they want about their body, as long as it doesn't lead them into bad decision-making. So if somebody says for me, I feel cleansed after having my period, good on you. But if someone's trying to sell you a cleanse to help your period, then that person, you know, I'm going after. So, cause we all get to reframe our body experiences. However, like we want to, we all have weird euphemisms for our little things and that's okay. But so I think there's probably like a mix of those things in there. You know, some of it's probably rebranding. Some of it's trying to be positive thinking. Some of it's, you know, you know, internalized misogyny. Some of it's happiness that you're not pregnant. So all of these things. I have to say, it, I, it just shows how out of touch I am with the female experience. I had no idea that that was a common trope, that this <laughs> concept of cleansing was like a, anything but something that could be an uncomfortable experience for a week or so. 
Yeah. I mean, and if you think about it, so you follow, I always love alternative medicine in the sense that if you follow the thought, it falls apart so quickly. Okay. So if it's a cleanse, what's happening to five-year-old girls? Where's their pollution going? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or I'm 58, 50, 58, 57. Oh my God. I don't even know how old I am. I'm 57. Yeah. I haven't had a period since I was 50. So shouldn't I be dead? What about all the people who have hysterectomies? Shouldn't they die? Like where are all those toxins going? Like, let's look at some MRIs from people who've had, you know, like hysterectomies. So it falls apart like so quickly, but it sounds familiar because we've heard about dirtiness and periods and the squeamishness. It's everywhere. Is that where the red tent comes in? Is that an old timey biblical thing? Have you heard of that? Red tent. So it's like the shame hut. Yeah, basically, you know, being banished. So depending how you look at it. So either you're banished because you're dirty and you got to go sit with the other menstruators or in some cultures, it might be a positive thing. Hey, you're menstruating. Girls trip. You, Yeah. And in <laughs> fact, you know, I was talking to um, to somebody who is, you know, an anthropologist and does research and she was in, um, in Indonesia, I believe, and talking with this group of people and the women were in, you know, the huts and they were segregated because of, you know, being you know, supposedly being polluted. And they didn't seem upset about it at all. And she's, you know, she said, well, you know, there actually isn't pollution in menstrual blood. It's not dangerous. It's not toxic. It's not harmful. And they were like, don't tell the men. This is the break we get. <laughs> like, don't tell the men. We don't, well, we don't want them to know that. Well, speaking of red tents, I'm going to send our listeners to the podcast equivalent of red tents, which is commercials. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Good segue. Thank you. Thank you. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And we're back. I feel cleansed. I hope our listeners all feel cleansed and detoxified of their money um, <laughs> by buying whatever um, things the commercials uh, were trying to get you to buy. Jen, Jen, um, can I let me ask you? Do you find that just talking about this subject makes people uncomfortable? And and if so, is it more men than women, or is it kind of equal? You know, I think it makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Uh, I think, sadly, it makes women uncomfortable. I mean, but I don't know if it's more or less than men. Um, you know, I th- I like to think that I I know more people who are medical, so I think that I have you know a different from a friend perspective. And also when people come into the office, they tend to be less squeamish talking to you in that clinical sense, right? Than talking in a, like a public forum. So I think that, 
there's squeamishness that abounds. And I think it probably depends on different cultures. I think it's changing. I think compared to 30 years ago, there are far more men that are able to discuss menstruation without, you know, going red in the face uh, than there were. I think there's been a lot of increase there. Uh, obviously still a lot of ways to go, but, but definitely I think there's been improvement. I think also too, it's very generational, right? So, you know, the, kids who are 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, they're sharing so many things online that like we would never have shared and sharing everything just seems normal to them. And for many menstruations kind of become part of that. And I think that's great. I think it's really great for people to know more about experiences, but also understanding that the videos that are fed to you on social media by the algorithm are necessarily a reflection of the general experience. Have you noticed a, a, are, you're on TikTok, right? So well, I, I, I try you... not to be. I, am, I yeah. actually dislike TikTok a lot because the algorithm, first of all, sucks you in. And all of a sudden you're like, I've been here for an hour and a half. What the hell has happened? <laughs> I could have watched a whole movie in the time I watched these 90 second clips of Pride and Prejudice. What am I doing? So, <laughs> but have you, so have you noticed any recent like viral, terrible menstruation myths going around on on TikTok or other social media? Not recently. I mean, there was one about a year ago or so about tampons having titanium dioxide. And oh, this yeah. is a really great example of how data and knowledge are not the same thing and how people confuse them. So, you know, there was a law passed in New York state saying they had to list all the ingredients for made in, you know, for tampons and menstrual products in the sense of transparency, which is great. But those ingredients really only mean something to you if you understand them and how they're used in manufacturing. So for example, we get people upset all the time about ingredients written in creams. And you have to explain to them, well, that's a levigating agent. That means it was used to dissolve something and it's all evaporated. Like there might be one molecule, so they have to list it because it was used, but it's not like an actual ingredient. But people don't understand, like they don't understand about levigating it. Like, so, so you have that, right? Like, and- who here understands the processing of cotton and rayon and the manufacturing, right? Like we're not, you know, textile engineers, but I did talk to a couple. Um, and so this titanium dioxide was listed. And of course, you know, it's banned in the EU, which of course means it's terrible. And um, titanium dioxide is in toothpaste. So you're literally scrubbing it on your gums every day. So if it caused cancer in mucosal cavities, we'd probably know, Right. Because mm -hmm. you're yeah. literally ingesting it, probably lots of it. I mean, as long as you're not eating a whole tube, it's, you know, been the safety's been reviewed by many people. And it's simply, you know, so well bound to the, you know, the string that it couldn't come off. It's just so all these steps, if you understand the biology and talk to somebody, it's like, it's not a concern at all. And, uh, but, you know, people were saying, oh, it must've caused my abnormal pap smears. It's like, well, no, that's HPV, um, you know, or, you know, it's caused my cancer, it's caused this or it's caused that, or that's why I'm having heavy bleeding. And this like mass hysteria about tampons being toxic, which, you know, ties into what virginity tropes, right? Because we see far more hysteria about insertional products and products that aren't. And so, you know, and I don't think people realize they're sort of playing into those tropes, but they, you know, they, they capture our cultural awareness and because people don't know, they know the biology. And so, you know, after speaking to a textile engineer, you know, he's like, really, that's what people are upset about. I'm like, I mean, yeah, but they don't know. And like, I'm not a textile engineer. So, 
Um, anyway, so that was, that was one of the latest ones. And, um, you know, it just shows how knowing what's in a product isn't always useful information for people. And hysteria, of course, is a perfect word for freaking out over a woman's uterus and whatnot. So well done on that. Yeah. And it's interesting because all of it came from women, you know, I mean, it got amplified by some, you know, creepy dudes who are, you know, the shirtless, you know, the shirtless ones who are always yelling about like endocrine disruptors and they are carnivores and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a few of them were involved too, but we're big fans of the liver King, the liver King. That's right. That's his name. Yeah. 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 Oh my goodness. I, the, the, the disgraced liver King. Did you know that he's been using PEDs this whole time? Well, no I don't know way. what PED. Oh, really? oh, I did read that. Oh, performance, performance enhancing yes, drugs. Yes. I yeah. heard about that. Yeah. yeah no, he's he been claimed using... to be all natural. And then he was exposed as yeah, actually was, using steroids. As Robert Evans says, he was using about a Honda Civic's worth of uh, steroids <laughs> every month. Yeah. I think, you know, what's really fascinating though, which shows why alternative medicine is a religion. It really is. It's not anything else. It's a religion. Just like when you have these disgraced pastors that have been found that they have been having sex with 20 different women every day, or they have a Learjet or whatever, nothing happens. People still, they, they're, it's the, it's, oh, it's a conspiracy theory, all this. It's so, or people make excuses. And so it's really, it's really like a religion. Well, it's one of those things that people make a central part of their identity. So it's, you can get somebody to change their mind about an opinion sometimes, but not if it's who they are, because then they have to change their mind about everything. Right. And it involves belief, right? It's, it doesn't involve science. People think it's science, but it's belief. Yeah. You know, I saw this TikTok video that really opened my eyes to the health benefits of uh, putting menstrual blood on your face. And I just want to is know that why that's so useful. Why is that so good for us? And does it work as well for me, um, someone who does not have a menstrual period, uh, as it would for someone? Oh my god! Well, yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, have a man, and I go around collecting menstrual cup worth of blood. And you can come to my spa where I totally clean the can blood. Can we no. tell men that it's a, it's really actually great to have menstrual blood on your face? And there's like. <laughs> one application yes. that is better than all others. So that, absolutely right from the source. Absolutely. <laughs> Drink from the fountain, baby. Exactly. Right from the tap. Yeah. Um, <laughs> apart from that, apart from the pleasuring of your partner, um, where there's definitely a bonus to that. Um, it's why they, I always say menstrual blood and sex is why they make Navy blue towels. <laughs> Like who else has it? Why else would you have it? Why else would you have a navy blue towel? It doesn't really go with anything. It's so dark. It ruins everything in the wash, but it well, hides blood really well. I also have it for dyeing my hair. So it okay, does same double thing. duty in this house. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But that, you know, you don't want like your white or your peach colored towel because you're never going to, it's always going to be like a dark stain. You're never going to get that out. So that's why you have, that's why they make them. I, yeah. I tell this to people all the time. Anyway, when they're on sale at Target, I'm like, 
Go get your That's navy towel. Of course. Target is where you get all your sex towels. Come on. Yeah. Target's uh, your sponsor uh, this week, right, Kave? It is. It's most weeks. That and yeah. some dick pills. Um, um, sex, but sex towel anyway. is not a bad name for a band, by the way. I, think I know. That's, that's a sex pretty good name. Sex towel. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so, so yeah, so there were TikToks about people putting menstrual, their own menstrual blood on their face. Again, this gets back to like, you know, oh, but it brings life so much to be good. Well, you know, no. Um, does it bring it, life or does it escort it out of your body? Well, it can, or, you know, the decidua, <laughs> but, you know, it's because there's stem cells. It's like, okay, well, oh, right. sure. But just like when I suck the marrow out of a chicken bone, those stem cells aren't prolonging my life. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. It takes a little fancy science for stem cells to actually become something. Useful, right? Yeah. So, you know, I think that it's unfortunately, you know, part of that. And these things like they get traction yeah. because there's such shock value and, you know, people with these menstrual blood on their face and, you know, and it's just, okay, like, no, um, but yeah, it's, I mean, whatever, you're free to do whatever you want with your menstrual blood, I, you know, that that's you. But, you know, the problem is, is it then feeds into this trope again about, you know, it's special and a life force and, yeah. you know. But at least that one's better than it being like this toxic, nasty stuff. You need to be in a red tent. There's at least something that's kind of cool about it, like war paint. No, I don't know, because, you know, there's just there's vaginal bacteria in menstrual fluid, right? Mm. And if you've got cystic acne or an acne lesion, which is what it's proposed for, what are you inoculating that with, right? Like we mm. don't know. The assumption should never be that something's benign. Like we don't know. It's an intervention. It's probably not causing any harm. I mean, there, you know, there's never been a, you know, a case that I'm aware of, of, you know, a cut on the leg, whatever, getting affected with menstrual blood. But it's one thing for something to happen naturally. It's another thing for someone to put it on their face every day, right? And, you know, there's people storing it in the fridge to make face masks with it. So, you know. Um, people are awesome. Just the so, most amazing things they come up with. It's just. I mean, we can all agree. Don't store it in your fridge and use it as a daily face mask. But can we also agree that. If you're part of a roving gang of people that are like storming the Texas uh, attorney general's office, mm. maybe just as war paint for this yeah. one occasion. Right. That'd Tonight be all right. we hunt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Pretty, I got, I got no cool. issues. I got no issues with that. I got no <laughs> issues with that. I also have no issues with people, you know mailing their pads or tan well probably not mail because you don't want to put poor mail carriers but mm, personally to de personally depositing um uh use menstrual products for politicians who are you know saying <laughs> that that life begins at birth because yeah there could be an embryo in there baby here it is here yeah. you go yeah, yeah take care of this. this please yeah um, but yeah don't don't baby don't put biohazards in the mail please something you discuss in this book is really the question of why menstruation occurs um, you discuss that it's a relatively rare phenomenon in the animal, animal kingdom. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, admittedly, it doesn't, on, on first glance, it, it wouldn't seem to have a ton of benefit. Why? Uh, this is a loaded question. But why? Why? Why are we doing this? Why? Why are, uh, why are we? Why are we doing this menstruation thing? Why? Well, for humans, you want these big brains. Oh, I like the big brains. Yeah. Yeah. So, Can you, I know, lie? We, oh, you know, we have... Nice. We have the most invasive placenta, you know, the most invasive placenta, you know, there's something then that can 
deliver a lot of nutrients, right? And create a lot of growth and get a brain growing really quickly. Um, to handle an invasive placenta, you need something thick. You, mm -hmm. you know, that's you need that decidua there as this sort of basically catcher's mitt that can handle it. Um, and when it can't, and the placenta grows all the way through, I mean, placentas grow like cancer. They grow all the way through. They can grow into your organs. I mean, it's catastrophic what can happen when the placenta goes awry. And so, yeah, it's, it's sort of this, the other important aspect of it is, um, you know, for lack of a better word, making the embryo work for it. Right. So you're a human, it's 80,000 years ago you're, you're expending a lot, a lot, a lot of personal resources perpetuating the species, right? Or 50% of the population. It's a ton is. of work. It's a ton of calories. It's a ton of effort. It's a ton of risk with childbirth. There's bleeding. There's the calories required for breastfeeding, right? So evolution wants to give you the best chance. If you're a mouse and you have a litter of 12, you know, two runts can die and it's not a big deal because you can turn around and have another litter in six weeks, right? So yeah. when you look at sort of the human physiology, we have these very large brains. Humans are also uniquely vulnerable at birth, right? So an elephant baby can get up and stand and walk within minutes, right? Humans require, you know, a baby chimp can hold on to its mother. You know, human babies can do essentially Useless. nothing. They can suck yeah. and that's it. That's they about the only suck. thing. Yeah. <laughs> but Judgment. you know what? It's yeah. kind of judgy, but yeah. yeah. I, no, well, no. I'm the only child-free person here, so I really need to represent and step up my disgust. The disgust, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah. Look, no, I, we're honestly, disgusted too. We're disgusted. We're parents and we're disgusted. Yeah. I mean, so, so evolution wants to get the best possible genetic outcome right? And so the endometrium, this thick decidualized endometrium can also sense abnormal embryos and mount an inflammatory response. It's so thick, the embryo has to work to get through it. And then it's so thick, it can handle the invasiveness of the placenta. So this is, you know, we've all heard about, you know, again, especially with all the abortion talk and the dumping pads and tampons that like, you know, 70% of embryos never even make it. Well, that's because of the endometrium. And that's because triploides, you know, all these, these genetic malformations happen all the time, but that's also how you get amazing evolution, right? You throw the mix of the dice, you get one great thing, you get the ability to walk upright, you throw another mix of the dice and, and you don't. And so you want to be able to have quality control for lack of a better word. And so our super thick heavy endometrium with incredible blood flow that is able to withstand the immune insult of a thick pregnancy that's able to sense embryos. I can do all these things. We believe that's the reason for menstruation. But the problem is, is unlike animals that have estrus, so they don't, decidualization is this final step that happens with exposure to progesterone and it's essential for implantation. With estrus, the implantation of the embryo triggers decidualization right? So there's less ability for quality control. With animals and humans that menstruate, it comes from the ovary. So I would like to say choice is built into the system, right? So also if there was a massive insult, you know, to the system, ovulation could be shut down. So, or, you know, progesterone production could also be shut down. So what happens is the decidualized endometrium has to be there waiting for the embryo to be able to have that quality control, to be able to have that work, to be able to have that choice in reproduction. 
So once you've created decidualized endometrium, it's a change in the tissue. It looks like liver. It's actual physical change. So you can't get rid of it. You can't absorb it because you don't have digestive enzymes, right? Like there's nothing that can dissolve it. It's not just a very thin layer like you'd see with estrus. So the only way to get rid of it is to dump it. That's it. You got to yeah. dump it to get rid of it. And that's why we have menstruation. Um, and we have more menstrual blood than other animals because we have the thickest decidua. And that's, and that's the reason for it. That's fantastic. So parents, when you're out there and you're having that discussion with your kids about this, let them know it's their damn big, beautiful brains that caused yeah. this. That's why they're experiencing this. Well, There's I was, so can I just add something? You so I like to say as many things as you like, this is why we need to take menstruation more seriously and why every single person should care about it. Because even if you're going to remain childless or have one child or whatever you're going to do, you benefit from the person who was born that created this computer. You benefit from the person who might become the doctor or the person that takes your trash or the this society exists because of menstruation, right? All the, the way humans have evolved, all of this. So it's, it's pretty ironic that the half of the population that suffers from this machinery because evolution only cares that it's good enough. Evolution doesn't care that it hurts to menstruate. Does it hurt enough that you're not going to have sex? No, great. Go on at it. Like evolution's <laughs> motto is literally barely good enough. Barely good enough. Okay, out the door. Get out. Don't well, give a if shit. Any, if anything, it hurts enough that I want to have sex until you know I get pregnant, so it stops. Right, right. Maybe that's yeah. you know. <laughs> but but you know what I mean. It's not fatal. It sucks. Yeah. But evolution doesn't care that it's a hardship. Right. If yeah. it was enough of a hardship, then we wouldn't be reproducing, and we'd have gone a different evolutionary pathway. So the people who suffer the hardship from having this kludgy biology that gets rewired every cycle, right? They're the ones who are paid less. <laughs> They're the ones responsible for childcare. They're the ones who, you know, all right. So it sort of becomes this whole, like, so not only are you punished by your biology, but you're punished by society for having that biology that society depends on. It's a bit of a mind. We're also, by the way, not even expected to take sick days when we have our period every, because it's like, oh, you deal with that every month. And it's like, yeah, but it fucking sucks. Every right? month, every month. So, yeah. Um, so, you know, that's so why. There, boy, there's so many. Okay. I have so many more <laughs> questions, but um, we don't have that much Hair time. Down, and, and I do have to get to some listener questions. Before though, before we get to the listener questions, my, my last question for you is, you know, your books are written in all these different languages. You travel the world. You're a very fancy person who wears fancy shoes and does fancy things. Fancy I see the, sweater. I see the fancy this, sweaters. This is from Zara. It was $18. That sounds oh, fancy it. to me. I don't know that. It sounds fantastic. I love it. Zara, that's one of your sponsors, Kaveh. Come on. Pretty sure <laughs> they, they may be. Um, so my, my question is, is there a culture out there that looks and addresses menstruation in a way that you think is actually pretty cool? And you're like, we should maybe adapt some of what these people over there in whatever country are doing that we're not really doing so much here in America and, and I'll throw in Canada in there for you as well. I mean, there are likely some more historic matriarchal cultures where it's been less of an issue. Right. But I think it's hard to find a patriarchal society where, um, 
where menstruation has been sort of given this the seat at the table that it deserves. I think that if you go to to some of the Scandinavian countries, you know, they but they have better health poli- health leave in general, mm. right? right? And they have, you know, countries with better access to universal health care. Right. So if you think about it in the United States specifically, it costs more to have a uterus than it does to not have a uterus. And so, you know, there's that financial burden or missed work appointments or all these things that happen to women in between their ages of sort of 20 and 50 that just don't happen to men. They just don't. I mean, and understanding, of course, obviously there are trans men who menstruate, but this idea that half the the population that menstruates is always at a financial disadvantage, always at a work disadvantage because, you know, the most common hor- that you know polycystic ovarian syndrome you know affects depending on the population you're looking at anywhere from 5 to 20% endometriosis maybe about 10% of people so you're talking about large swaths of the population so so yeah i mean i think that that certainly in our culture i think we do it the worst because of our healthcare system because anyone who has more health problems is at a disadvantage right so you have half the population yeah. right there um i think that we're seeing, you know, inching in the right direction with, you know, menstrual leave. Um, but it's also really important that, you know, we accept that, you know, people can be sick for other reasons. And that's, you know, that, you know, maybe just having more compassionate leave policies in general would general, be a good right. idea yeah. as opposed to labeling it specifically, you know, menstrual leave, because you know what, there might be people who don't have any issues with their period, but maybe they got terrible migraines that are completely unrelated to their period. So, we should I, like. I'm not. I'm not of the belief that we should have like menstrual leave and migraine leave and this leave. I just think people should have the leave that they need for their health problems. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. All right. Let's go to some listener questions. We'll start with suicidologist and uh, Canadian Dr. Tyler Black at Tyler Black 32. He wants you to know that you're his hero. Oh. <laughs> a lot of the a lot this is what's annoying like when i like solicit questions sometimes and it's someone like jen like half of them are like just tell her i love her <laughs> and i'm like that's not a question i know i, I need to hear it sometimes though <laughs> yeah. so, Every now, you know i get a lot of hate so it's always nice to i hear. understand you do you get a disproportionate amount of angry angry people um any information on ssris which have bleeding risk and menorrhagia dysmenorrhea. Is there something that psychiatrists do that you wish we didn't? Um, I'm not aware of really any link with SSRIs and heavier periods. Um, I haven't seen that in the literature. It doesn't mean that it's not a possibility, but I haven't seen it. Um, We actually find, you know, SSRIs can be very useful actually for people with PMS and PMDD, um, you know, premenstrual mood dysphoric disorder, you know, given in, cause they can just be given in the luteal phase, some of them. So you don't have to take it every day of the month. So I'm not really aware of anything. I guess what I would, um, the less of a menstrual issue. Um, although one thing I would wish is that, you know, if you're seeing somebody new for depression or, you know, anxiety, that it might be good to have a menstrual calendar just to see if what's really going on is PMDD as opposed to straight up depression, right? Because yeah. if it's only happening half the cycle, uh, then it then it might be might benefit from a different treatment. And for some of those people, hormonal contraception can can also work. So that might be one thing I'd think about is to really if you know ask about a cyclic component to symptoms. All right, let me uh, go to a question from Prodigal Hoosier at Prodigal Hoosier. 
please ask her if she's been seeing long COVID impact her patients. Having cycles 23 out of 31 days a month has been absolutely miserable. Um, is long COVID been something that's ascribed in, in, in terms of dysmenorrhagia or anything like that? Well, it's certainly, um, post COVID, you know, in the, in the cycle afterwards is a higher incidence of, of menstrual abnormalities. Um, I don't think that we have really enough data on long COVID and menstruation um, that I'm aware of, you know, the, you know, the last time I looked at it, you know, which would have been about six months ago, you know, there's a lot of a lot of data, you know, I would say probably every six months, there's probably a new data dump, right, with long COVID. But um, but I would say that it would be important to, you know, to have a workup because certainly, um, you know, we want to know what the hormonal disturbance is. We want to know there could be lots of different reasons. Also, people can get two things at once. You can have a polyp in your uterus that was hanging around, not causing any problems. And then, I don't know, maybe you got COVID and it got inflamed and then now it's causing a problem. So you actually have something that's not really long COVID, but more that that mm -hmm. triggered another thing. Right, so, right. so I just think that people, before people start saying, oh, this is long COVID or, oh, this is something else. I think you deserve to have the full workup uh, to see, you know, what it could be because, um, you know, there are a lot of different things that can cause prolonged periods, can cause heavy periods. Um, and the most important thing is to come with a menstrual calendar, because, you know, if you can tell your physician, you know, what's been going on over a couple of months, it gives us a much better idea. You know, sometimes people think they're having a regular bleeding, but actually they're having breakthrough bleeding when we look at the calendar, or sometimes people think they're having one long period, but we actually, the bleeding's from something, you know, that, that maybe the bleeding's actually coming from the cervix because the cervix is inflamed. So, mm. so, you know, so I just think it's important to have that full workup um, mm -hmm. and then go from there. And I think that's one of the problems with a lot of these kinds of studies looking at say something like long COVID people are just reporting that they're having bleeding, but but unless you actually have a diagnosis for the bleeding, it's kind of hard to know like, well, did you stop taking, for example, your birth control pill because you got sick, right? And then you didn't bother to restart because you're maybe you're not sexually active because you're too unwell. Well, that bleeding pattern might've been the bleeding pattern you had before you started the pill, right? So mm -hmm. you've kind of reverted. So, so there's a lot of nuances to tease out, which people absolutely deserve. We absolutely need that data. But so I just don't think I have that data to, to, to figure that out. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, this next one's from Anna at We Gladly Feast. Why are medical approaches around menstruation and birth control regional? For example, some countries recommend IUDs for everyone at most ages. Other countries don't mention it at all for younger folks, etc. So a lot of fascinating differences in, you know, country society sort of acceptance promotion of of different contraception. So for example, um, countries that are uh, very religious in different ways, um, some of them uh, may not recommend IUDs because they believe that uh, that they could be abortifacients. Um, they're not. Uh, some people might also be afraid of damaging a young girl's virginity. Again, virginity is a social construct. It is nothing. It's not biological in any way. So the idea of putting a speculum in and inserting something before, you know, a penis is not considered acceptable. So I think that, you know, some of it is related to that and not accepting the literature. So the literature tells us that we can put IUDs in 15, 16 year olds just fine. And they're highly active 
you know, long acting reversible contraception, that and the implant. And if you want people to not get pregnant, those are, you know, those are the most effective. So I think there's, there's that there's religion. There's probably also national funding that goes along with it. Right. So, you know, in Canada, the IUDs are all whatever, like 50 bucks, a hundred bucks that you buy yourself. I mean, around that, don't quote me on it, but they're not very expensive. You know, same IUD down here is $800. Right. So then you have those kinds of things that play into the mix. And then you have historical beliefs about like contraception and, you know, you know, whether it's been legal in a country and for how long. And so, um, and then you have uh, regulations, so like the FDA and approval processes. So for example, the approval process for an IUD in Europe uh, and in Canada is not as stringent as it is here. Uh, now, we don't necessarily see reports of, of issues. However, um, you know, when you're looking at countries with, you know, 5 million people or 10 million people, that's you... You, maybe you're not going to see that same safety signal you might see with a country with a lot more people. Uh -huh. The other thing is we used to not have the FDA involved with IUDs. And I go into that in detail in the book. And it was really a catastrophic era for women in the United States. And it's also entirely possible that, um, that uh, capitalism and the free market works well in other countries and it may not work well here in the United States. So there's also those types of things, right? Where there's more money to be made um, and also maybe more lawsuits to be had. So a lot of complex issues, you know, like I, in the book, talk about how they decided they needed to pull a bunch of different IUDs off the market, the FDA. And um, this, they couldn't get this guy to give up his IUDs. And he was actually on an FDA committee and they had to send the U.S. Marshals to his practice to take the IUDs out of his practice. Take those IUDs out of my cold, dead hand. And there's been issues with people, you know, pre-FDA involvement, there were issues with people not being honest about data not being honest about biases. So we have a pretty... You know, people always ask, how come we don't have so many IUDs in the U.S.? And it's because companies don't want to bother to do the research to get approved here. It doesn't mean wow. their IUDs are bad or good. They just want to do the research. But all I can tell you is before the FDA stepped in, it was pretty awful what happened with IUDs here. And wow. maybe that happened in other countries. Maybe it didn't. But I'm just saying that it was a recipe for disaster here. So, okay. Oh, that's really interesting. All right. One last question. That's from Ryan Marino. It's a two-parter. How many times a year should we be testing MTHFR? And what's the best dessert to make for someone who is feeling lazy? <laughs> so do people know what MTHFR no, is? No, they do Meth not. No. Methyl, tetradi methyl tetradihydrofolate reductase or the motherfucker gene, right? Um, and so it's, it's involved in folate metabolism. And you never need to test it. You never need to test for it at all at all. It's a variant. It's not a genetic defect and Ryan is trolling us. Um, but, uh, but it is a great way. I think like 40% of people are at least heterozygous for one of the, you know, one of the variants. So if you're an alternative medicine practitioner, it is a great way to pick up a large percentage of people who need your supplements, right? Yeah. Oh, uh -huh. look, you have this genetic problem. You can't metabolize folate, uh, you know, properly. You need to take my supplement. We need to do all these other tests because you could be estrogen dominant and have toxic estrogen and it all like made up. So the best dessert to have when you're feeling down, mm -hmm. um, when you feel better, 
Uh, hmm. I would say I personally uh, like ice cream when I'm feeling kind of down. Nice and simple. Flavor? Do you do anything to, to yeah, flavor is the first question. So yeah. I am a big fan of high quality strawberry ice cream. Oh, good call. With the real high strawberry quality. chunks in there. Yeah, like the real fruit. Um, yeah. big fan of that. That's just a real high quality strawberry. Also, also love um uh coconut. The I like the ice cream mm. made from coconut milk. It's so good yeah. too. Like the mm -hmm. coconut flavor one and mango sorbet too. Those are kind of three of my faves. Um, Re but Re Rebecca, what's Rebecca? I, I, can I guess? Can I guess your favorite flavor before you say it? Sure. Something with sea salt and caramel. Oh, you are. Yeah. You're, I, I cannot choose just one, but the caramel, um, uh category in mm -hmm. general right. is where i i thrive because yeah. you have yeah. sophisticated taste that's how i knew that that's how i knew that you, oh, you like the, yeah yeah that's me sophisticated that's yeah. what most people think yeah about. um and and kave what what's what's your what's i'm yours? a yeah. i'm a simple man i mean we really we should have stopped making desserts after cookies and cream came out cookies and cream oh. is the perfect combination of crunch chocolatey sort of thing i don't think oreos are even chocolate they're like chocolate adjacent and yeah. and cream it just it's perfect it, it doesn't we don't need mm -hmm. i've never encountered a better uh, ice cream and if i'm gonna wow. be regional i'm gonna say mitchell's ice cream here in san francisco that's mm. that's the that's it there's nothing better you can ever do i don't need the fancy organic buy right stuff that's great it's good it's very tasty but nothing beats some good old-fashioned oreo cookies in my ice cream. Really? Mm. Oh, mm. I, I also do like me some cherry Garcia. Mm. I like mm. the chunks of the cherries because uh -huh. like the strawberries, but then you get a little bit of like chocolate every there now and then with a bite. Yeah. Yeah. You no. know, Trader Joe's has a really good uh, coconut milk ice cream that's cherry flavored with chocolate I've bits in it. I've heard that. It's really I've good. I've heard that. I'm kind and of tempted to just keep doing this and then like slowly <laughs> taper the episode out. <laughs> Anyways, no, but I won't because I want to get your plugs in. Re Rebecca, my brilliant friend um, whose videos are super educational and I watch Aww. them every single time because they're so good. And then I do episodes based on what you do. I basically oh, just teach your ideas and steal, steal them stuff. and then yeah. make shows out of them. Sometimes I invite you to be on them. Sometimes I don't, you know, but I'm stealing oh, from yeah. you either way. I want I'm you busy. to know I can't be on all the shows that you steal. So, I, so many, so many. <laughs> And they're so good. They're so great. Where Thank can people you. find you? Uh, you can find me on YouTube, just Rebecca Watson, just my name. Uh, same on Twitter and Blue Sky and Mastodon, just my name. Or at skeptic.org if you want to find all the places I am. Find oh, her. and Patreon. Patreon.org slash Rebecca. Got to get the one where I actually make money. Yeah. And... Get her. Get to her on Patreon and bother her to start Quizatron again because I, as a fan, want yeah. it. Now, Quiz nice. Quizatron was great. I I, I was you. fortunate to go twice and it was it was and you really were great. great. It was you were fun. both great on there. It's going to come back. I believe it. I believe in it. Dr. Gunter, this book, which I'm holding in my hand, is going to be widely available this month on the 20th is that correct 23rd of january 23rd it is really a great book i'm super glad that i have it i'm going to continue to use it as a resource 
Um, and I'm, I, I can't speak highly enough about it. Can you tell people a little bit about where they may find it? I mean, I'm assuming every single bookstore is going to have it, but yeah. anything you, else you want to plug? So you can find um, Blood, the Science, Medicine, and Mythology of Menstruation at your favorite independent bookstore, at every other bookseller that you might use. You can find all the links um, on my Substack at thevagenda.com. If you go to the book section, they're all there. And if you are a listener from the UK, Australia, or New Zealand, or Canada, where the book's also going to be available, there'll be all local links all there. They're all there. Um, you can also find me like Rebecca. I just use my name, Dr. Jen Gunter. You can find me on every platform that way. Um, I'm still kicking around Twitter a little bit, kicking around Blue Sky. Mm, not so sure about threads, but I'm there and I'm on Instagram and TikTok sometimes. Uh, and um, and never on YouTube. I you know, can only do so much. And uh, yeah, but thevagenda.com, so that's where you find all my latest updated writing. I take reader questions. I do deep dives. And um, I hope I hope you get the book. Um, and uh, January 23rd. Yeah, it's fantastic. Can't wait. Can't, can't recommend it enough. Thank you both so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. It's so good to see Bye. you again. It's Bye. good to see you too. <laughs> This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a physician or other qualified health care provider for your specific health care needs or concerns. The opinions expressed on this podcast do not represent the opinions of our employees. Details in the podcast have been changed so that patient identification is not possible. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.